I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown, Social Distancing Edition. So for the time being, it's just me. In the last few weeks, it's been a time for me to really think about music that's close to my heart, music I love, and Debussy's La Mer is definitely one of those pieces. It's in three movements, and over the next three episodes, we'll go through each movement, talk about it, listen to some examples, and at the end of each episode, we'll listen to the movement in its entirety. And I'd love to know what music is meaningful and close to your heart during these times. You can send me an email at classicalbreakdown at weta.org. So, Claude Debussy, a French composer, he lived from 1862 to 1918, and his work, La Mer, Three Symphonic Sketches for Orchestra, we most commonly refer to it just as La Mer. He wrote this between 1903 to 1905, about two years, and that's actually pretty fast for Debussy. He would take a long time um, writing, and this was premiered in October of 1905, and the premiere was not very well received by the public or even critics. Critic Pierre Lalo wrote, I do not hear, I do not see, I do not smell the sea. And that was by design, as Debussy wasn't looking to write a symphony, a large symphonic work with a structure and several movements, but he also wasn't looking to write a symphonic poem, a one-movement work that is pretty loose of any structure that depicts something bring something to life musically, like a landscape, a seascape. If this was a symphonic poem by maybe Richard Strauss, we would definitely hear, we would see, and we would smell the sea. I also imagine Strauss would have included a wind machine, too. But Debussy was actually looking to capture the idea of the sea, not so much to pick its actual waves crashing in music. In fact, he wasn't even near the sea when he wrote this. He was actually working with his memories of the sea kind of like the famous British uh, seascape painter J.M.W. Turner, whom Debussy admired. Turner made these incredible seascapes from memory after he would stare at the sea for hours before going inside to paint. So although the premiere was not well received, over the years it's become thankfully a staple in the orchestral repertoire. And after the work was completed in 1905 and was set to print, Debussy wanted to choose for its cover a painting, but not one by that British painter Turner. In fact, Debussy chose a woodblock print, one that's very familiar to most of us, The Great Wave Off Kanagawa by Katsushika Hokusai. This woodblock print, which is on the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org, it captures man's struggle against nature, fishing boats fighting against a massive wave with Mount Fuji framed in the background. But I can kind of still hear the sea in this, although Debussy is trying to capture the idea of the sea. Part of it is because I am pretty biased. I grew up on the coast of Florida. I was enamored by the water, considered being a marine biologist at one point. And I even lived on a ship for a while, a hundred-year-old Portuguese barge. So this has naturally been one of my favorite works. And I've performed Debussy's La Mer before, like most orchestral musicians. But I wanted to get a different perspective. You may remember in episode 10, What Does a Conductor Do? We had a conductor, Michelle Merrill, well, give us insight on that. And I wanted her insight on this work, what it kind of means and all of its challenges. So one of the first things I always think about La Mer is this joke I heard when I was in school and, and working on pieces in that it's La Mer and not Das Mer. And this joke being that it's not German or 
Austrian. It's a very French piece. And like many French pieces during this time of Impressionism, it's all about atmosphere. And so yes, the rhythms and the lines and everything's important, but what's so interesting in Le Maire is that it's all these thematic and rhythmic fragments rather than necessarily conventional melodies. And I think this is so great uh, and so suited to expressing the sea and the waves and the way that they change. And from a conducting standpoint, capturing this, I think, is what's so challenging. Capturing that sunrise that starts the first movement, which is very similar to the opening of Daphnis and Chloe, which would come later. There's this great sonic sunrise and, and expressing that through my own gestures and also the music to not sound just like beats moving or rhythms moving, but just to get the character of it. And also, just like a wave, the tempos are constantly changing, the time is constantly changing, and keeping a mental track of that and the changing rhythms can be very technical from a conducting standpoint, but you have to make it sound seamless. You have to make it sound atmospheric. In the middle of the movement where the cellos are divided into these eight different lines, it has this great renewed energy and brilliance, but it's also such an easy place for the cellos to fall behind. So as a conductor, I again have to balance this sonority and the strive for color and nuance with rhythmic accuracy. You might also see conductors waving and, and not know exactly what they're doing, but it's normally keeping the time and the, and the time signature of the piece. So if it's in four, four time, I'm normally doing four beats. Or if it's in three, four time, I'm normally doing three beats. But there's lots of decisions within the first movement and actually all of the movements of Lemaire where I have to decide, do, should I do this in six or in three? Or should I do this in four or in eight? Meaning I would actually give more beats. And so sometimes within a phrase, it could change slightly, but the basic idea that beating more, say if I beat at eight beats instead of four beats, it would give more control over the rhythm, but it would rob the music of being flowing and again, atmospheric. You don't ever want it to be too structured. And so kind of these decisions are what keep conductors up at night and also feeling it out. It might be different from one orchestra to the next. And uh, again, it's, it's so much fun to try to figure these out and work them out, but then just let the music take over. And so again, that it's very French and not German. And then finally, this ending, which is so extremely powerful and beautiful and brilliant, it actually has to be held back slightly with the knowledge that this isn't the end of the entire piece, but just the first movement. Thanks, Michelle. And if you want to hear more from her, check out episode 10 at classicalbreakdown.org. So let's get into this music now with a recording of L'Orchestre Lamoureux featuring Igor Markovich conducting. The first movement or sketch is called De l'Aube à Madi sur la Mer, or From Dawn to Noon on the Sea. And right from the beginning, you get this idea of stillness and darkness, the sea before sunrise, and then the slow awakening of the sun and the sea. And we can hear that in the winds and the trumpet.
And in much of Debussy's music, not just this one, he pushes and pulls the music. Uh, he plays with the rhythm and the harmonies as well, and has certain musical ideas pop out suddenly, or go away suddenly, or kind of swell up. And it often leads up to a big moment in the music, or a moment you weren't expecting. A little further into this movement, he has the music rising and falling steadily like waves. And just when you expect a big fortissimo moment for the orchestra, it suddenly goes somewhere else. And for me, as I think about this and the sea, I feel like now we've been brought to the point of view of a bird, like a heron, gliding just over the surface. And as we get to the middle part of this movement, something different happens. There's a sudden change. It brings us back to the calm of the opening before Debussy goes on into what maybe could be considered kind of like an underwater dance that slowly, slowly rises to the surface. we get a kind of payoff that we didn't get before with that rising and falling, um, swelling like waves in the music. Towards the end, it swells again and brings us to that glorious fortissimo moment with the full orchestra. And in, in my mind, we are now witnessing the power of the sea from high above, like from the edge of a cliff. Okay, so now let's enjoy the full movement De l'Aube Amadie sur la Mer from Dawn to Noon on the Sea of Debussy's La Mer, performed by L'Orchestre Lamoureux and conductor Igor Markovich.
And that is the end of the first movement, De l'Aube Amadie sur la Mer, From Dawn to Noon on the Sea, from Debussy's La Mer. We'll get into the second movement next time on Classical Breakdown from Classical WETA. You can share with me music that is comforting to you right now. Please send me an email at classicalbreakdown at weta.org. And visit the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org for more information on this episode. I'm John Banther. Thanks for joining me. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time on Classical Breakdown. Classical Breakdown.